Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. You can turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Before we go to the scripture this morning, I want to tell you about a man I once knew named Howard. And Howard was a, a serious Bible student. Uh, in fact, he, he made it a point um, in, throughout his life uh, to, to meet personally many of the prominent and influential Bible teachers, the, the people that you hear on the radio. Uh, he would search those men out and uh, meet with them personally and study the Bible with them um, so that... that you know most of the most of the preachers that are on the radio that that you know names people would recognize um, he had he had met those people and he knew them and and they knew him too um, and uh, of course one of the the areas of Bible study that he was very interested in was the study of Bible prophecy and um, somewhere around I don't know what year it was somewhere around probably. 1999 or, or 2000, Howard became convinced that he had determined the date that Christ was going to return and the date of the rapture. Now, you know, a lot of people make those kinds of claims, and, and of course a lot of people that make those kinds of claims, you know, they'll, they'll claim that, you know, a certain date or whatever, but, but uh, don't necessarily take a lot of action based on those things. In fact, he spent the, the year, or it may have been six months, but it was, it was six months or a year, leading up to that date when he believed the rapture was going to take place, traveling all over the country, meeting with family and friends and acquaintances uh, to, to urge them to believe the gospel and to warn them of this date that he believed Christ, he believed the, the rapture was going to come. Now, he came to this date, you know, by looking at prophecies in Daniel and other places and, and doing all kinds of calculations, and, and uh, he, you know, he thought he had it right on with the uh, return of Christ. From there, he counted back and, and uh, thought he could figure out the, the day of the rapture, and he determined that it was a, a certain Tuesday in, I think it was June of, of that year, that the rapture was going to take place. And, of course, that Tuesday came and went, and, and we're still here. And, and from time to time, you know, people will, will come up with these various dates of when they think certain prophetic events are going to take place. I never saw Howard again after that date. I can imagine that he was probably very greatly embarrassed. You know, again, he, he put a lot into this date. This wasn't some passing thing for him. He put effort into it. I mean, he, he, I don't, and, and I don't know, to, you know, to finance his travels there, he may have even sold things that he had and that kind of thing. I, I don't know. But um, imagine the, the testimony and, and, you know, to some of those people that he had shared the gospel with on the basis that, you know, this is your last chance to believe the gospel because this date is coming. Uh, imagine what that did to his credibility and to his testimony with those folks. You know, there's, there's not a lot of things you can do when, you, when you've put everything into a date like that and it comes and goes and what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen. Understand, now, if, if this is happening today, 
Imagine you're back in that first century church. Now, today, and, and we'll look at, you know, why, in more detail, why you can't set these dates today. But keep in mind, in that first century church, you have Jewish believers, right, who they know their prophetic scriptures. They know those things. And there's a progression of prophetic events. And you can see in prophecy the the rejection and crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see his resurrection. But then you see his return. And there doesn't seem in many of those prophetic passages to be a long delay between those things, right? I mean, it seems like they, they should have come right in order. And you can imagine somebody living in that day who's looking for those things to come to pass. And here in the, in the passage I told you to turn to in Second Peter, Peter is writing this about 66 A.D. So we're 30 years, more than 30 years past the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the kingdom hasn't been set up yet. Remember Christ, when he first came preaching, what did he say? The kingdom is at hand, right? That means it's, it's, it's right here. And here they are 30 years later, no kingdom. Um, Peter, Peter and the 12, uh, after Christ's resurrection, and at the beginning of the book of Acts, you remember, they asked Christ, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, this was after Christ had taught them for 40 days and 40 nights of all the things about Bible prophecy and how they pointed to himself. He gave them a a crash course in Bible study. And Christ's answer there was, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. Okay, now I can I can guarantee how they translated that in your mind. You know, when you receive a vague answer, oftentimes you tend to interpret it by what you want that answer to mean. And when he said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, I can guarantee you they in their minds thought, it's going to be any day now, right? He's not telling us because it's going to be any day now. And they were looking for these things to come to pass. Now, here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Peter is writing this. First of all, Peter is writing these epistles, not just to the, to the church in general or the, you know, believers in general, uh, his first epistle, he writes to, in 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, strangers scattered. And that's the, the strangers of the diaspora. It's talking about the, the scattered Jews. And specifically, it would be these, these believers. You see, they're scattered. They're not in Jerusalem anymore. They're scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Uh, the book of Acts records how the apostles stayed at Jerusalem, but many of the, many of those Jewish Believers there that believed in on Christ, they left and they went throughout that, that Roman Empire. And here in Second Peter, Peter's writing to the same group of people. You see it in our text, Second Peter 3, verse 1, he says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now, Peter is trying to encourage these these Jewish believers, and he's trying to encourage them here in this passage about the things of prophecy, that they should not give up 
on the things of prophecy, that there are going to come some scoffers. He warns them. There's going to come these scoffers that are going to say, look, here we are 30 years after the one you're claiming is the Messiah, and there's no kingdom. We're 30 years after the one who, who you claim is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and there's no kingdom. And look, everything's just the same as it was since the fathers fell asleep. Um, he, he calls them scoffers. He says they're walking after their own lusts, and they're questioning that promise of Christ's coming. They're questioning the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Now, that attitude that they have, it says they, they say all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And, you know, this is, a, this is a worldly attitude that extends far beyond just matters of Bible prophecy. Uh, you think, for instance, about, um, you know, matters of, of creation and the world's view toward that. You know, the world's view toward everything around them is it's just these, these gradual processes that have been taking place the same from the beginning of the world. Everything they break down to, to chemicals to reactions, to, you know, to chemistry and physics. And they see no, no room in that for any kind of act of God or work of God, whether it be in initiating the creation or whether it be in bringing things to a culmination. Things just continue as they always have been from eternity past, and they'll continue that way into eternity future. And there's no, there's no change in, in uh, what God is doing. That, you know, that view, by the way, is often uh, the same among Christians as well. Christians often fail to recognize changes in what God, you know, what God has revealed in his word through time. And they claim it, it's all just the same. It's all just the same, and it's all just going to continue to be the same. But Peter's warning them about these scoffers that are going to have that attitude. That attitude that everything is just the same as it's always been, it's always going to be the same as it is now. And he says in verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of. Now he doesn't just say they're ignorant, he says they're willingly ignorant. They are choosing to be ignorant of these things. Okay, willingly ignorant, you, you can be ignorant just in a passive sense, that you just haven't learned something yet and you're ignorant of it. But these people are ignorant in the active sense. They're ignorant because they want to be ignorant. They're willingly ignorant that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. You see, he says, first of all, they're ignorant of the act of God in creation. Right? If you don't see creation as an act of God, you certainly are going to have a hard time believing that God's going to fulfill any kind of prophecy in the future. He says they're ignorant of the fact that, that uh, the, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, and, and ignorant as well of the flood that he mentions there, that the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. And so they're ignorant of that. They're ignorant of those things in the beginning of the word of God. Verse 7, it says, But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. They're not only ignorant of the work of God in the past, in creation and in the flood, but they're, they're ignorant of the work of God right now, who through his sustaining power, by the same word that created the world, is sustaining the world. They're ignorant of that. And so is it any wonder that they would be willfully ignorant of the fact that God's going to do some things in the future? If they're ignorant of what God's done in the past and what he's doing in the present, uh, they certainly are not going to believe what he says he's going to do in the future. 
Verse 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, as a th- and a thousand years as one day. You realize that the passage of time, the reason that these scoffers have this opportunity is because there's been this passage of time. It seems like there's a, a delay in the fulfillment of God's plan. And so Peter says to them, with God, a day and a thousand years are, are just, you know, there's, there's no real difference between them. Because of the, the perspective, right? If, if you had lived for all eternity, and we're going to live for all eternity in the future, do you see how your perspective on time would be a little bit different than what ours is here and now? I mean, think about, think about when, you were, when you were a little child and you were five years old and the, and the concept of how long a year was. A year was like forever, right? But, but you think about it, if you're five years old, a year is 20% of the entire time that you've been alive. And so it's no, and, and you know, when you're five years old, you don't remember being a year old or, or maybe even the things before you were two years old. So as far as what you can remember, it's maybe 30% or more of the time you can remember that you've been alive, right? And so that seems like a long time. Well, you get older and a year doesn't seem like a long time. I mean, I think back to a year ago and it seems like a year just flew by, you know? And, and uh, I can imagine, you know, when some of these people live up to be, you know, 100 years or more, um, the man in the newspaper this week, 100 years old. Uh, can you imagine a, a year? A year for him has got to seem like a lot different than a year for me, and it certainly is a lot different than a year for that five-year-old. Now imagine you've lived for all eternity. A, a day in a thousand years begin to seem not that different, okay? I mean, if you want to think of it as a, as a term of mathematics, um, when, when you're going to have a fraction and the denominator of the fraction, the bottom part of the fraction, is infinity, it doesn't matter what you have on the top of that fraction, it, for all practical purposes, equals zero, okay? Um, so that, that if you have a day in comparison to, to eternity or a thousand years in comparison to eternity, they are essentially the same thing, all right? And, and so he, he reminds them of this, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And he says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason that prophetic events have not happened in the time frame that it seems like they should have happened, it's not because the Lord is slack. It's not because he's lazy. It's not because he just didn't get around to it yet. All right? The Lord, it says he's not slack as some men count slackness. Rather, what Peter says about this delay in the fulfillment of prophetic things is he attributes it to the long-suffering of God. He attributes it to that patience of God, God who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has extended this period of time when salvation is available. Uh, in fact, he, when he refers to the long-suffering there, he's long-suffering to us. Remember, this is Peter, an Israelite, talking to fellow Israelites. And you remember what, what Israel was deserving of um, in that time immediately following the crucifixion of Christ. It was, it was not for the kingdom to come. It was for judgment and wrath to come. 
Okay, when when Stephen is stoned by the by the uh, council there in Jerusalem, he looks up and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God, the father. And, you know, that's a significant thing, because the scripture said when he ascended into heaven, he was going to sit at the father's right hand until his enemies be made his footstool. So what does it tell you when Stephen looks up and Stephen sees him standing, it tells you it's time to make his enemies his footstool. But it didn't happen. It didn't take place because God brought in this dispensation of grace, this, this mystery that he'd never told anybody about in Old Testament prophecy, this mystery he hadn't warned anybody about. He brings it in and he gives an extended period of time of long suffering so that people can come to repentance, so that in the context of what Peter's talking about here, so that these unbelieving Israelites can come to repentance. He's long-suffering to them. He tells them, don't, don't consider it like, like God is, is behind schedule or he missed a deadline. Rather, it's a time of long-suffering so that, so that uh, people can come to repentance. And Peter assures them in verse 10, He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Peter assures them, just as, as, you know, he assures them about that work of God in the past, that work of God in the present. He says, the day of the Lord will come. You can be certain of that. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, the day of the Lord there, he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And, And he's talking about that second coming of Christ and the things that follow it. Uh, You see, it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And he's referring to that cleansing by fire that takes place of the earth before the new heaven and the new earth. Okay, Peter, Peter had reminded them about the earth that then was, the world that then was, was overflowed with with water. Uh, he tells them about the heaven and earth which are now, and following this, this uh, fire that he talks about here, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. He says in verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. You know, you, you look around at all these things, you look at, you look at everything around you, and he says it's all going to be dissolved. It's all going to be burned up. It's all going to, to you know, just like you, you take and put some, some sugar in water and it dissolves. That's what's going to happen with all of this. And he says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And so he says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Peter says, don't view this time as, as, you know, God missing the deadline. View it as a time of long suffering. And since you're looking for these things, here's the way you ought to continue to live now in this time. And he says in verse 15, account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. When he says account, he's telling you how to think about this time period. Don't think of it as as, you know, some, some undue delay in the process, but account it as a time of salvation. This time of long-suffering is a time of salvation. 
um, as, as the Apostle Paul says, it now is the day of salvation. And Peter says, account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now notice, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. He says, there's this, there's this period of time that's the long-suffering of God, that's salvation, and he says, essentially, if you want to know more about why there's this delay, why there's this period of time, Go read what Paul writes, right? He says, Account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul hath written unto you, according to the wisdom given unto him. And he says that's what he writes about in all his epistles. He's writing about this period of time between, you know, Christ is is gone, he's in heaven now. I mean, he's ascended into heaven. Um, And the kingdom hasn't come yet. He says Paul's the one in all his epistles that writes about all these things. So he refers them over to Paul's epistles. And he, even Peter admits there's some things that are hard to understand. They're hard to understand because Peter and these Hebrew saints, their grounding was in the Old Testament. And you see, Paul's teaching some things that were never taught by the prophets. He's teaching the mystery kept secret since the world began. And, and so Peter says, if you want to know more about this period of time, you've got to go look at what Paul is talking about. Now, he says Paul writes about these things in all of his epistles, but I want us to go back to a specific passage in the book of Romans. I want you to go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. These passages in the book of Romans, there's three chapters here, Romans 9, 10, and 11. And Romans 9, 10, and 11 are not about individual salvation. Some people try and make some points out of these chapters about individual salvation, but they're not about individual salvation. Um, The matters of individual salvation were taught earlier in the book of Romans, in in chapters 1 through 5. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are dealing with the nation of Israel. Uh, In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 9, verse, verse 1, it says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Okay? Um, Romans chapter 11, verse 1, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. You see what the theme is in those chapters? It's Israel. It's what happened to Israel. Because as Paul has come through and he's talked about how, how uh, justification is not by the works of the law, it's by the righteousness of faith, and, and it's through faith in Christ and what he accomplished. And he, he uh, talks about now how how grace sanctifies the believer in a way that the law couldn't, and those kinds of things. The, the logical question that comes up is, well, what about all this stuff in Genesis through Malachi and in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the beginning of the book of Acts? It's all about Israel. Here Paul's talking about Gentiles, and he's talking about salvation not being through the law and not being through, through uh, Israel in the sense you don't have to go and become a, a part of that nation or... or you know, receive salvation in that way. And the question comes up, well, what about Israel? 
And so Romans chapter 9 is about what happened to Israel in their in their fall, in their, their stumbling and fall. Romans chapter 10 is about the state that Israel was in as Paul is writing this letter. And Romans chapter 11 is about things that are going to happen in the future with the nation of Israel. Okay? And so that's why those three chapters are there. And, and remember that when you come up with passages in those chapters that might seem kind of difficult or whatever, remember it's talking about the nation of Israel and what God did with them, what what uh, was happening with them at the time that Paul wrote this, and about what's going to happen with them in the future. And in Romans chapter 11, remember Paul says the dispensation of the grace of God is for you Gentiles, right? Not that Israel is excluded, but always in the Old Testament, Israel was at the forefront, right? Israel was the head of the nations, not the tail. Uh, Israel was God's chosen people. They were the, the peculiar treasure unto him above all the earth. And then you get to Paul's epistles and it's all Gentiles, Gentiles, Gentiles. Well, what, what happened? And what's going to happen in the future with Israel? Is God just set them aside in the sense that he's not going to fulfill all the things that he has left, left to do with them? I mean, there's all kinds of prophecies about Israel that have not taken place. Has God just, is he not going to perform those? Well, we know from what we read in Peter, that's not true. Because Peter says to those believing Israelites, they should continue to look for those things. Because they're going to happen, but they need to understand things in light of what Paul writes. Okay? And so in Romans chapter 11, verse 13 says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. You know that in the Old Testament, God said that he was going to bless Israel so that the Gentile nations would look at Israel and they would see the blessing that Israel had and they would be drawn to God through seeing that blessing upon Israel. But Israel, because they entered into an agreement with God where they would be blessed or cursed based on their obedience, they came under the curse of God. So that in in Romans chapter 1 and 2, Paul says that, that... The Gentiles blaspheme God because of the Israelites. Why should I believe in the God of a defeated people? But see, all that defeat was because they had come under that curse of God. But God now, you see how it's switched around in these verses? Here Paul says, I magnify my office and I speak to the Gentiles so that, he says, I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. So that the Israelites will look over at the Gentiles and say, God's working over there now. Maybe I better go find out what God's doing over there. You know, that's why God took the things that belonged to Israel, like tongues, like the miracles, those kinds of things, and did them among the Gentiles. Remember what the sign was to Peter at the house of Cornelius that, that, these, that God was doing something different now with the Gentiles? It was that he spoke with tongues. That wasn't something Gentiles were supposed to do. That was something Israelites were supposed to do. And here's a Gentile receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking with tongues. And it was a sign to Peter. And Peter got the point there, that God was doing something different with these Gentiles. Okay? And that's what Paul says. He says he preaches to these Gentiles so that the, so that the Israelites will look at what God's doing among the Gentiles and they'll be provoked to emulation and they'll come to come to believe. It's just the opposite of what it was in the Old Testament. Old Testament was Gentiles look at Israel, see the blessing, and go and receive the overflow of the blessing. Now, you see, it's Israel's supposed to look at the Gentiles and say, God's working among them. We need to go and have a, have a part in that. 
So verse 15, he says, For if the casting away of them, of Israel, the casting away of Israel, be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? If God set aside Israel so that he could have mercy upon everybody equally, if, if their setting aside was the reconciling of the world, what's it going to be when God receives them back? He says it's going to be like life from the dead. It's going to be like a resurrection. In fact, there are many places in the Bible where that, that receiving again of Israel unto God is likened to resurrection. And so Peter and Paul are, are both clear. That God is going to fulfill these things with Israel, but we currently are living in a, a, a delayed period of time. And you see, that's the reason why you can't put dates on when these things are going to take place, because you don't know how long the delay is going to last. Uh, there's no Old Testament prophecy you can go to where it gives some period of time where that time period includes the dispensation of grace. Because you see, Paul called it a mystery there again, didn't he, in verse 25. He said, I would not be, have you be ignorant of this mystery, this unprophesied thing, this thing that was kept secret since the world began, that blindness in Israel is, is happened until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.